You're listening to Climate Champions, a podcast from the Architects' Journal. I'm Hattie Hartman, Sustainability Editor at the Architects' Journal. Hello. Climate Champions is back. To kick off 2022, we're going abroad in search of new voices and fresh perspectives. Our first stop is France. And I'm Hattie's co-host, George Morgan, Director of 1.5 Architecture. We need to change the minds. You have to show wonderful architecture. It's not enough to say that it is sustainable. You convince only if it is beautiful. Our guest today is French architect, writer, and curator Dominique Gauzin Muller, a leading proponent of timber architecture and biorenewable materials, and author of numerous books about designing with timber long before wood became the material of choice for addressing climate emergency. Dominique is the curator of Terra Fibre, an exhibition about buildings made of earth and plant fibers, what she calls post-carbon architecture, on show at the Pavilion de l'Arsenal in Paris until February 27th. I hope to go, COVID permitted. Dominique is also one of the driving forces behind the Off du Développement Durable, the Off du DD, a fringe conference of emerging projects in sustainable architecture that takes place every two years in cities across France. I first saw Dominique in action at the very first Off du DD 12 years ago, and it's been remarkable to see how the publication and dissemination of exemplar projects has contributed to mainstreaming ecological architecture in France. I think it jump-started the process that Letty and Aiken have sparked here, but 10 years earlier. Dominique, we're delighted to have you on the podcast. I continue to be astonished by how little we hear about your work in the UK, and I hope we can change that. I'd like to start by asking you about Architects Declare. As you know, AD started here in the UK in 2019 and has been adopted in more than 25 countries, including France, where it has almost 500 signatories. You are one of the founders of a similar manifesto, which you launched in France in 2018. Your manifesto calls for frugal, creative, and happy architecture. Why have you chosen these words? Hi, and thank you very much for the invitation. I'm very happy to speak with you about those subjects I'm working on since about 40 years. And yes, I, I know the declaration that you have done in the UK. Our manifesto is now signed by 13,300 people from 65 countries. Why did we call it frugal and creative and happy? We chose frugality and not sobriety because frugal and frugality comes from a Latin word, which is frux frugis, the fruit. And for us, frugality is 
the right use of the fruits of the earth. You just take what you need and you keep always a part to plant and to have it for the next, for the coming years. And you probably know that we are now living over the biocapacity of the earth. So by taking the word frugality, we explain that we think we have only to use what we can use in a way that takes care of the people in other countries, in South countries, and which take care also of people of the next generation. So this is also an act of solidarity. And then why did we choose the word happy? We don't think that frugality is something that takes you back to the time where uh, we use the candle. That's not at all. And I hope you see that or you hear that in my voice. We are very happy to do that. And it makes us very happy and very enthusiastic because to share with other people as I told you, with people in the South and with people from the next generation, just makes us happy because we feel, we feel good and we feel free by sharing. And then creative, because we go in that way out of our comfort zone, like me when I make a PhD. And I think when you have few things You have to be creative and to imagine all what you can do with those things. It's, it's easy to build when you have all kinds of material, when you have a very big piece of land and, and so on. But I think when you first think, oh, how could I use what is already there and what could I do with it with the people who are already there, how can, could we work together to make a, a better world, a better, a better building? This forces us to more creativity. In our manifesto, and it is also the subject of my PhD, we see four elements. We want to decrease the use of the ground, the use of the energy and the use of materials with high gray energy like concrete, which creates more than 8% of the CO2 emissions. And at the same time, we want to increase connection, the relationship between the actors of the project, because we think that it is very important. And I think another important point of our manifesto is that we don't only work on the building itself, but we are working on the, the planning and also in the urban scale. And I think it is very important to work on all these different scales and on all these different types of towns and small cities and rural areas. I very often tell to my students, if From now, you only build sustainable buildings in an infrastructure which is not sustainable. It is like if you drop water on sand, just it, it disappears. So we really have to do everything together. And we speak about urban planning, but also about landscape 
planning. And in our groups, we have not only architects, but also engineers and landscape planners and urban planners. I totally agree with you. We've done a whole series here on the podcast about landscape. I just think it's so important, and I think architects too often don't pay enough attention to it from the outset of a project. So then there's the infrastructure as well. Like if you have a sort of amazingly sustainable house, but you need to drive from there to get anything, well, that's not in total sustainable. So yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's true. And if you eat meat twice a day. Ah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really holistic, like permaculture. In fact, it's a philosophy. And uh, I'm vegetarian since 12 years or even more, and I know why. And I never had any car. I drive bicycle, I walk and I take the train. And I also do that for my students. They couldn't believe me if I would come with a Porsche to the, to the architecture school and if they would see me eating big steaks for lunch. So I think it's really a philosophy. And concerning uh, the last thing, concerning our manifesto, what makes a big difference to other manifestos or texts which were written in other countries is that after we launched our manifesto, there were local groups which were created spontaneously. One was in uh, Grand Est, so in Nancy, organized by former students of mine. And another one was in Bretagne, in Brittany, in Rennes. And the, the local frugality group in Nancy is still the most active. It's also the one who, who launched the cartography. And I think it is a wonderful idea. The idea is that if you want that people use alternative materials like wood and earth and straw, you have to help them to find them. Because if you are an architect who till now just work with concrete and steel, you don't know where you can find the good wood to a normal price and, and so on. And uh, Christophe and the team, they made a sustainable uh, resource mapping and they, they went to the quarries, they went to the sawmills and so on. And then they write also papers with what you can find them, which kind of food you can find and so on. And, and so anyone in the Grand Test who wants to build with wood, know now because it is an open source. We'll put a link also for your resource mapping. So this means that designers can actually find out what different types of timber or hemp or cob or straw might actually be available locally? Yeah, exactly. And on this mapping, there are inspiring buildings and also the School of Architecture of Nancy, the School of Wood Engineer in Epinal and Centre de Ressources. So Resources Centre about sustainability and so on. And um, because it is an, an open source, anyone can see them and can use them. A consultancy here in London called Material Cultures has started to look at some of these issues in the Northeast and Yorkshire. They did an interesting report last year jointly with Arup, but I haven't heard of anyone doing the sort of mapping that you're describing. It's a lot of work. A few of the French local groups decided to make their own cartography, and now we have a global 
cartography for France. And in the exhibition that you mentioned before, the Terra Award exhibition, you can see this cartography. Great. Well, that's what I want to talk about now. So you've been advocating what here in the UK we call regenerative materials for many, many years now. And you've also commissioned some wonderful graphic novel illustrations that explain the more technical aspects of these materials with very appealing and easily understandable drawings. You started the Terra Award in France in 2016 to promote earthen architecture, followed by the Fibra Award in 2019. And Last year, you've rebranded it as Terra Fibra, with the jury headed by Anna Herringer, whom we interviewed in episode six. I was delighted to see that the catalog which accompanies the current show at the Pavillon de l'Arsenal is in both French and English. Let's talk first about earthen architecture. How do you see the trajectory of mainstreaming these materials? So, concerning earth construction... We have in France, and this is also the reason why we made the Terra Award in France, organized by Crater, who is the International Institute for Earth Construction. It was created 1979, and about 20 years ago, UNESCO chair was created there, and my friend Anna and I, and also Martin Rau, who is the most well-known specialist for warmed earth, we are all three honorary professors at this uh, UNESCO chair for earth architecture, constructive cultures, and sustainability. When we launched this prize, it was because I, I had, through my books and uh, through Ecologic, so the magazine, I had remarked that we had enough inspiring projects to make a prize and a book and an exhibition. Because I thought that really to change the minds, you have to show wonderful architecture. It's not enough to say that it is sustainable. You, you convince only if it is beautiful. I totally agree. I've been fighting that battle for a long time. Yeah, and it was interesting. When I began 2007 with Ecologique, with a magazine, I had two young architects with me who had before nothing with sustainable architecture. And sometimes I showed them projects and they told me, hmm, it's perhaps social and sustainable, but it is not sexy. It's ugly. And, and then uh, they showed me projects and I said, it's perhaps sexy, but it's not social and not sustainable. And at the beginning, we had really difficulties to find French projects, which were both. But with each year, it was easier to find those projects in France. So I thought that the critical mass to convince was achieved around 2015 when we began to launch the prize. So we really had to, uh, and especially I, I had to write to all the architects that I knew and say, please, please send us a few projects and make an application. Because I knew that if I had at least 50, 60 wonderful projects, the book and the exhibition will be 
convincing. And at the end, we had about 360 applications for our prize. What was really unexpected. And among them, I discovered also wonderful projects. First, we search, uh, or there was a first jury, who choose among the, the application around 40 projects. And we show in the exhibition those 40 projects. Because what is important for us is not to have a few winners. We want to show how many wonderful projects there are all over the world, from all the continents and all kinds of programs. So one family houses, offices, a lot of schools, and so on. And, and really... For the Terra Award, we had a meditation center in Stanford and a small school in a rural area in Africa. So we also take care that we show all the different techniques of earth construction, old techniques, but also quite modern techniques like poured earth. Yes, that was one of our next questions. If you could tell us about some of the different techniques and some of the innovations from these projects, like reusing excavated earth from a site or clay-based concrete. The three oldest building techniques were created about 10 millenniums ago, and those three techniques are still in use now. And I find it just amazing. It shows that they were really good, good techniques. One is cob, one is adobe, uh, so bricks, and the third one is wattle and daub. Naturally, there were evolutions, but in fact, not so many evolutions for those three techniques. And the base of those three techniques is a mixture of earth and fibers. And then uh, the most well-known and the most prestigious technique is rammed earth. And this one was invented about nine centuries before Christus. Why later than the others? It is because you need framework for that. There was a first renaissance of uh, rammed earth around the French Revolution in uh, 1800 from François Quintero who wrote many books, which were also translated in English. And there is Ramdeus also in Australia, for instance. It is because of the books from Frantero. And then there was a new technique, which was invented about 70 years ago, so 1950, in uh, Latin America. And it is CEB, Compressed Earth Blocks. So first it was just a manual machine. Now you have electrical machines and even bigger machines. The advantages of the CEBs is that they are compressed. So they are better for the mechanical qualities. But most of the time the people put cement in it, 5-6% cement, and that makes them not so sustainable. First, because of the use of cement, which produces a lot of grey energy and a lot of CO2 emissions, but also because if you put cement in earth, then you can no more bring them to the earth at the end of the use of the building. So this is CEB, which has the advantage that you can produce a lot of them, many thousand pieces in a day. 
by friends Shitra Vishwanath, for instance, in uh, in Bangalore, in India, she has already built around 1,000 houses. And they make amazing structures, even with 15 meters span, with CEBs. One of the finalists of the Terra Fibra Award was built in Pondicherry by the Oroville Earth Institute. And the last technique is the port earth. It was used in France. It began about 10, 15 years ago. And Guillaume Aber at the ETH in Zurich is also working on that. For me, it is really the best way for the massification of the use of earth in the construction. Because any firm who knows how to make cement concrete, can make earth concrete. And they also have the formworks and they have all the infrastructure to do that. The problem is um, the mixture has to be quite, quite fluent when you put them in the formwork, but within two or three hours, it has to become hard because you want to open the formwork to use them for the next piece of wall. Till now, the only, uh, mostly, we use cement. So a former student of mine, who is also belonging to uh, the Frugality Group in, in Nancy, already built a few public buildings with port earth with about 3 or 4% of, of cement. There are research institutes who are trying to find which additive for this port earth. There were people working on tannin, what you also have in, uh, in wine. Yes, tannin. Yeah, so you can use tannin. You can also use algae, exactly like in the marmalade. And then the team around Guillaume Aber is working on mineral additives. But till now, I know no buildings made without additives. But Philippe Madec is now refurbishing two buildings and a new building in between for a library in the middle of Paris. And for the connecting buildings, he uses a wood structure filled in between the wood columns is port earth without additives because he has chosen another technique these elements are not load bearing and the buildings i was speaking about before and one of them is one of the finalists of the terra fibra award a school in saint antonin nobleval they have load bearing port earth walls and what was the, the solution for the project of Philippe is that he put wood as armature and he has found a firm who normally makes prefabricated concrete, cement concrete elements with steel armature. And this industrial firm accepted to prefabricate those elements out of wood armature and port earth. So this is the other way to make port earth. And, but I'm quite confident that in a few years we will have find mineral additives 
who can help to use earth instead of cement. The other point is to use the earth from the site, so the excavation earth. And I don't know if you have heard about it, but they opened a few weeks ago in Sevran near Paris. It's called Cycleterre and it uses earth from the excavation of the project Big Paris, which is an enormous project. Grand Paris, yes, this is an enormous infrastructure project. This is exactly what we need here, the public sector leading the way, like network rail or transport for London. Yeah, Grand Paris, yeah. And so they have millions and millions of tons of excavations every year. And the idea is to use a part of these excavations and to transform them in earth products. So the fabric cycleterre began with CEB, mortars, plastering, and also prefabricated small ramped earth elements. The fabric in Sevran wants to use about 8 million tons of excavation earth every year. And the idea is not to make this fabric bigger, but to build many small factories around Paris and in other places in France, because we think that the local manufacturing is really the solution to use more and more bio-based and geo-based materials. And also reused materials, so what you call regenerative materials. And if you want to use them, it is important to make this cartography I was speaking about before, and also to make or to give the architects or other institutes another mission, which could be called sourcing. So when you build a new building or when you refurbish an old building, because we at the Frugality Movement, we are convinced that we have first to reuse, to make upcycling with the old wood is there before we build something new. And we think that for each new project, new building or refurbishing, the architects should have a look at what are the available materials. Is there a reuse platform? Are there quarries? Is there a sawmill? And what produces this sawmill? And so on. When they have found that, then it's important that they speak with the people there to know what is available and what are the best woods for what they want to do. Because depending on what you do, you can use oak or you can use pine or other uh, wood species. I think that what is really sustainable or frugal is to use the right quantity of the right material at the right place. And my friend Philippe says, and at the right price. Because concrete has not its real price. If you really calculate all the environmental prices, it will become very expensive. Because in terms of cost, 
one of the things that can be difficult in global north countries is how expensive labour is. So some of the innovations like using poured earth in the same sort of systems on site as for concrete, that must be quite efficient in terms of labour. And you mentioned using prefabricated small rammed earth elements in these factories. So in terms of how labour and these kinds of labour saving technologies, how do they relate to how we replicate and scale up these technologies? It seems like a key issue. Yes, and this is why I see a big opportunity with uh, poured earth, because poured earth needs around the same time and the same formwork and the same tools than than uh, cement concrete. Now it's a little bit more expensive, perhaps around 250 to 300 euro compared to 150 or 250 euro for cement concrete. But it is something which is still in a normal budget. Ramped earth is unfortunately much more expensive. Quite often it's around 1,000 euro for uh, one square meter uh, wall. So five times. Yes, but there is a, a project which is also among the finalists of the Terra Fibra Award. It is in a school in Isère where it was only around 450 euros a square meter. Why could it be less expensive? It is first because the architects are members of Crater and are used to build with uh, ramped earth and they have a lot of experience. If you want to prove that ramped earth is adapted to the construction, you have to make a formulation. So you have to have a research center who makes a test or works on the formulation, how many very small grains, how many bigger grains, so how much clay, how much sand, how much uh, stones, small stones, bigger stones, and so on. And, and then building control offices, bureau de control, they also ask for a prototype to test it. And this cost for one building, for one project, about 10,000 to 15,000 euros, which makes the project uh, more costly. And in this case, because the earth in Isère, in this special region, is used since uh, centuries to build houses and to build farms and so on, they, they know that this earth has a good formulation and there were already prototypes. So this cost were not there. And also it was not so expensive because the firm had also experience. It comes also for the critical mass. One of the ways to massificate the use of earth construction is to teach the way of using those materials to the firms and uh, to the engineers and to the control offices and to the architects and uh, engineers. The whole chain of design of a project. Yeah. To go back to the question of George concerning the, the small ramped earth element. There is a, a city near Bordeaux, which is called Biganos. 
and they are making a SAC, Zone d'Aménagement Concerté, so which is a, an eco-district. And in this eco-district, there will be around 600 social housing. And they will be built out of earth, local earth. And they will be built with those uh, small warmed earth elements, prefabricated elements. The social housing firm who does it, who has the courage to do it, found near Biganos two quarries, one with yellow earth and the other one with grey earth. And they also found an artisan, a craftsman, who used to make out of it fired bricks and who accepted to change the process and to make not so crude earth bricks and also those elements. And they worked also with uh, Amaco and with Crater for this sourcing. And they also prepared panels out of earth and wheat, which is also growing nearby, to use instead of the plasterboards. So they also uh, showed that they can replace the plasterboard with boards made out of local wheat and local earth. Fantastic. We'll put a link in the show notes to some information about this project. Dominique, this is such a fascinating discussion, and we have so much more to talk about, but we're going to pause here and hold the second part of our conversation about fiber architecture, straw, hemp, and bamboo for our next episode. I invite listeners to come back to hear more from Dominique about the burgeoning frugal architecture movement in France. In our next episode, she will reveal why 6,000 buildings have been built with straw in France over the last decade, how fire risk is being addressed, and speculate on why ecological architecture is proliferating faster in France than it is here in the UK. Before we sign off, here is an update from ACAN, the Architects Climate Action Network's Natural Materials Working Group, whose work streams are closely aligned with the topics we've been discussing in this episode. Since launching last year, ACAN Natural Materials have hosted masterclasses on building with straw, earth, and hemp. You can find all the recordings on the ACAN YouTube channel. An event with Straw Bale UK about Cave Architect's Straw Bale House in Hastings and a session on how airtight buildings can be breathable are coming up in February, as well as several live demonstrations at Future Build during the first week of March. An open source resource of standard construction details for different natural materials is also underway. For further information, keep an eye on ACAN's Instagram or email naturalmaterials at architectscan.org. If you're enjoying Climate Champions, please rate us and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. It helps people find us so we can build an audience. You can find the show notes for this and previous episodes at Architects Journal. .co.uk 
forward slash podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thank you.